This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. we begin our podcast today, I just invite Ian to give us a bit of a review of where we were last time. Hello, everybody. So in our last podcast, we uh, read Genesis chapter 8, which is the end of the flood, and Noah and his family uh, leave the boat, and the animals leave the boat, and they back on uh, planet Earth. And then Noah, in uh, gratitude, sacrifices some of these animals that they've been protecting in the ark all this time. Um, so, uh, and then there's this uh, God responds by saying, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. Um, this is like in response to a sacrifice of these valuable animals. Uh, it makes it sound like God really enjoys the smell of a barbecue. Um, and... Yeah. I, I was wondering what the two of you took away from uh, the end of our last podcast. Yeah, I was thinking about it after and uh, it came up in conversation. Um, and I just really had that feeling again, you know, that is is this something that God is wanting or needing from us? <laughs> this idea. And actually, now that you you thought about, you said that the valuable animals I just thought about, you know, in relation to how we see animals going extinct today and how, you know, certain animals, you can't even hunt them, you know, even if you're out there looking for food and that this was a very finite amount of animals that they had on this boat here. Um, yeah, it, it just didn't sit comfortably. So I'm not sure if you're an animal lover or you're concerned about, uh, our attitude towards animals and if God once wanted people to sacrifice animals. Yeah, I think I'm still about the killing part. Why Why does he requi require us to kill something in order to make him happy or to show gratitude or whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, let me respond by saying there are many uh, practices uh, that there are laws for in the Old Testament. Uh, for instance, how to keep slaves, um, how to divorce your wife, how to go to war, how to relate to a king. And none of these uh, situations were desired by God. And so... Um, let me make a suggestion that all around the Israelites, nations were sacrificing human beings. Uh, and 
sometimes even the Israelites sacrificed human beings. And uh, we'll, we've talked about that in podcasts. Um, there's one entitled Ravishing Rispa. And uh, that's talking about human sacrifices that were offered by the Israelites. So possibly what God did was uh, to prevent the Israelites sacrificing human beings, uh, he gave them animals to sacrifice because he knew they had this intense desire to somehow uh, do something to be in favor with God so that he would send the rain and protect them from their enemies. And it, I also wonder if the, the idea that God was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, is that saying something about God or is it saying something more about uh, Noah and that he hoped that God was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice? Yes. Because he was wanting to ensure that this would never happen again. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to read to you from Genesis 8, verse 21. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself. So how did uh, Moses know about this uh, said to himself deal? Uh, did God come and tell him, yeah, you know, uh, this is what I said to myself when you offered that <laughs> sacrifice. It, it's really interesting uh, how the yeah. story is written. And we often miss these little comments that uh, are made. So can I, um, we, we can always come back to this topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's uh, uh, get on with chapter 9. Uh, Sasha, I'm going to ask you to read verses 1 to 3. And before you read... Um, this is chapter 9 of Genesis, and uh, uh, we can title it God's Covenant with All Life because he makes this uh, promise or covenant with animals and the humans. Uh, it's really interesting, and he makes two speeches. And so we're going to occupy ourselves with the first speech, uh, and then we'll do the second speech, and then we'll get into the curse of Ham which is really interesting and how it's played out in history. Okay, here we're starting on the first speech by God after the flood. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. Thank you. Uh, you'll notice God blesses Noah and his sons by name uh, in chapter 8 and 9. Uh, and the women are saved in the ark, but they never get named. How do you yeah. feel about that, Sasha? It would be so much more interesting in these stories if we really got the perspective of both. But I understand it was a different. But you know what I did love? 
is that the scurrying, the small scurrying animals came back in the story. <laughs> I, I felt like we were in the children's story and we were back. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Makes me think of cartoons. <laughs> yes, exactly. So this would be like Warren and I talking um, without ever naming you. Um, so Warren, that woman... Uh, that uh, <laughs> works on the podcast with us. She's really good, isn't she? Yes, she is. Yeah. Too bad yeah, she doesn't yeah, have yeah. a name. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no name brand. So um, there's a timeline progression in the food given to man. In the garden, and I want us to read these verses uh, just to register the change. What's given to Adam and Eve in the garden to eat? Warren, if you can read Genesis 2.16. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Thank you. So it's fruit in the garden. Yes. And then, Sasha, outside the garden, 3 verse 18. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Okay, so we've started now. Fruit in the garden, grains outside the garden. And now we move to the post-flood here in verse 3. I've given animals to you for food, just as I've given you grain and vegetables. Mm. Um, so um, people were probably eating animals before the flood. Um, there, there's a... Uh, Noah is instructed to say, take seven pairs of clean animals and seven pairs of birds into the ark. So you have the implication that long before Levit Leviticus 11 is written, which details clean and unclean animals, there was some appreciation of this. And that's why God could say to him, take seven pairs of clean animals. Um, and so now... It's legit to eat animals, clean animals. So we go from fruit to grain and now to um, animals as food. I would, right. I would also add that what I'm, what I'm hearing there potentially, though, is that, that this isn't ever like a prescribed thing by God, but that he's understanding that they are doing this. And that he's now adding an element of, okay, if this is what you're eating, please make sure, you know, that you never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to make, <laughs> still help us along while we're making choices and decisions for ourselves. Yeah. Well, it continues with the accommodations that he makes in all those other areas that Ian mentioned. If you're going yeah. to have slaves, treat them this way. If you're going to go to war, go to war this way. If you're going yeah. to eat animals, eat it this way. So I want you to notice uh, that at the end of verse 2, that the animals will now look on you with fear and terror. Mm. I know. That made me sad. Well, which gives um, the whole idea that before that, they didn't. They were all kind of a family. Yeah, uh, particularly, I'm sure the animals in the ark, because, yeah, they spent a lot of time together and animals would have looked to the the, the humans for food and, and they would have built relationships with all these animals. 
but interesting now that you said that all of a sudden I thought of the idea that well if we're killing animals of course they're gonna look at us with fear and terror because these kinds of you know they're smart you know and then I was just thinking about well if we view that God kills us of course we're gonna view him with fear and terror and I just saw that link for Ooh. me and yeah. thought wow wow yeah what a link yeah Mm -hmm. Let me give you another link, that in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Mm. Now, all human shepherds eat their sheep. Now, I mean, that's why you raise sheep. Yeah, right. That's yeah. To, to get wool, if you have a, a, a wool-producing sheep, like a merino sheep. But That would be my kind of shepherding. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've never heard of a shepherd who didn't eat sheep. Yeah, sure. Mutton. Uh, by the way, uh, this is interesting. Uh, it's really uh, a sort of a trivial pursuit comment. Mm -hmm. Do you know why a sheep's meat is called mutton? No. Mm. No, no you don't. So, um, I'm happy to display my vast <laughs> accumulation of trivial facts. Yes. When, when William the Conqueror came over from France and conquered the savages on the island we call England, um, they were really looked down on, a lower class people. Mm -hmm. And um, William the Conqueror and his troops all spoke French. And so they were upper class. Mm -hmm. And so English took over the French terms for food. So it survives today, like if you go to a restaurant and order a la carte, uh, you know, all yeah. sorts of terms. Now, mutton comes from mouton, which is French for sheep's meat. If you're not impressed, I'll tell you some more trivia. So please be impressed. <laughs> highly, I am highly impressed. <laughs> okay, let's let's go to verse four, uh, because I can tell you're both eager to get on with the story. Warren, if you'll read verse four, please. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. Yes. So let's talk about that. And why is this? Um, blood is prohibited in no uncertain terms here and elsewhere. Um, look, for instance, at Leviticus 3.17. Sasha, if you could read that for us, please. You must never eat any fat or blood. There is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. Wow. Thank you. Quite unequivocal. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, we don't have time to read them all. There are many references, but uh, it's even stated that people who eat blood must be executed. I mean, like, this is very serious. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have uh, the source for you, um, but uh, I've heard that it was said that when the, the Hebrew people um, prepared meat, they were to wash the meat after draining the blood, they were to wash the meat uh, with salt water until the water was no longer tinged with red. Now, by the time you get meat to that condition, it's not very tasty. So there are health reasons for this prohibition. 
because the blood carries the uh, the excretory uh, products of uh, um, the body, what it's trying to get rid of. It will also carry uh, the hormones of an animal that is about to be killed, like huge rush of adrenaline and so on. And uh, then, uh, yes, for instance, uh, USDA uh, mandated warning found in modern day menus, consuming raw or undercooked meats, poultry, seafood, selfish, or eggs may increase your risk of foodborne illness. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. is that uh, the problem with meat and blood is recognized here. Do you think that 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 warning that was given there at the in verse 17 um that it was more like a prediction rather than a law you know kind of like this is I get almost like a covenant or something like I give you this I give you concern for the rest of life that I want you to be well <laughs> rather than if you do this bad will come to you. I mean, you know, it could potentially, but yeah, you make an interesting point. Yes. Um, what, what are some of the things you, you lay down the law uh, when you're talking to your children about like wash your hands. You could say wash your hands or I'll kill you. Or you could say, wash your hands, or it might kill you. You pick up some bacteria or something and ingest it. It could lead to your demise. You know, you're talking about the same phenomena. You're just talking about it in different ways. Yeah, so always keeping that reframe in my mind it really helps me not get stuck into that fear or that limiting. So morally, shed blood of animals was seen as prefiguring the death of Jesus. At least that's the way we see it as Christians. Don't you see it that way? Yeah, we've, I, I guess I've, I'm coming to wonder whether that was God's intention or whether we've just read back into it, knowing that he would eventually uh, die uh, and the significance of that death. And so now post-death, we read into all these sacrifices as pointing forward to his death. Um, and I'm questioning whether that was really the case back then uh, or whether that's something that we've infused into that uh, situation. Now, see, now you're taking us back to podcast 109. Yeah. Where we talked about that uh, the contemporaries of Jesus uh, did not have any idea that Messiah would die. Mm -hmm. And they say so categorically in John 12, verse 34. Jesus is saying the Son of Man must be lifted up, and the crowd responds spontaneously and says, but Messiah, according to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, uh, will live forever. How can you say that he must be lifted up? And then they, they add to their confusion by saying, and who is the Son of Man anyway? You know, it's really confusing for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is clear to us was not clear to them. We are such meaning makers. And so everything 
to us sort of has to, plus we have had a lot of time to think over the years of what, what's written, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is that in Acts chapter 15, um, this is the first general council of the church. And Paul has been out converting Gentiles and he's been telling them you don't need to be circumcised and you don't need to follow a lot of Jewish rules. And there's a big showdown in Jerusalem about whether this can possibly be true. And they come up with uh, a solution. And James, the leader of the church, who's a half-brother of Jesus, um, writes out the conclusions. And one of them is this one in Acts 15, verse 20. Warren, if you can uh, read that, please. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Now, I think we can all go with, uh, we understand food offered to idols and sexual immorality, but now we come to uh, strangled animals. Now, a strangled animal has not been bled. The blood is still in it, mm. and it tastes better. And then uh, that's amplified by saying, just read that last part again, please, about and blood. From, and from consuming blood. Yes. So the, the New Testament, the first general council they have, re-emphasizes uh, what God is saying to Noah right at the post, first first blood speech. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I, you know, I wonder if there's some just connection with because because the blood represents life and and so to consume the blood is like symbolic of consuming life and and we're to respect life not to just consume it uh, this uh, lets you off the hook uh, when you're killing ants they don't have blood there you go that's good to know <laughs> however I wish to remind you Canadians who have abject fear of mice that mice do have blood. But I don't eat them. <laughs> so um, draining the blood from an animal uh, means that you uh, took away its life very quickly and it became unconscious. Mm -hmm. uh, that is different to a, a tortuous death where you strangle the animal and it takes a few minutes for it to die. I, I like that. That resonates. Yeah. Hmm. So if you're going to do it, make it as painless as possible for that living being to mm -hmm. honor whatever you can of its life. That so it's in this context, a post flood context uh, God is still speaking in verse 5 and 6 if you can read that please Sasha and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life if a wild animal kills a person it must die and anyone who murders a fellow human must die if anyone takes a human life that person's life will also be taken by human hands 
for God made human beings in his own image. I want you to notice the reason given for executing murderers is that the victim carries the image of God and this makes their life sacred. So this law uh, parallels the law of Egypt where Pharaoh's life was sacred. Notice there's no prohibition, prohibition of man killing animals. Uh, nothing in there. It's just if an animal kills a man or if a man kills another man. If there's a restriction. Right. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. It's uncomfortable, but what came up for me was um, abortion. And just thinking of the many people who felt like they didn't really have any other choice and felt that they couldn't carry this life. Um, what about those people? Um, did you uh, wake up? in this uh, aggressive mode, or did it develop during the day? <laughs> like, do you want to pick a fight on abortion? <laughs> well, we were just reading here that they must die. I, you know, my heart, of course, is so sensitive to all of the people who, you know, I, I'm standing for the women here, if I may. So I think you need to confess to the listeners that you are a doula. Yeah. Can you explain what that term means, please? Yeah, I am a servant for women and in in the area of childbirth and all of the all of the um, experiences that women go through in reproduction and their own bodily health as well as their mental health. And I just you know have a heart for all of the women who feel that this isn't a topic that can even be talked about. You know, what if what if somebody was in that position? Would they even be able to talk to somebody in this church and say, look, I'm being faced with an impossible choice here. Is there anyone that can talk with me and empathize and go with me on this journey? And <clears throat> I'm just putting it out to my wonderful pastor friends here. Warren, this woman is stirring. <laughs> That's why we have her here. <laughs> so uh, here's the interesting thing that I can say, Sasha, is that in the areas of the world um, where people are totally against abortion for any reason, they're also usually in favor of capital punishment. And... Uh, it's these verses here that uh, people quote uh, for substantiating capital punishment. To our shame as religious people, and I wish to point out that the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims are usually in favor of capital punishment, whereas secular people are the ones who have defended um well, let me say, are opposed to capital punishment because we've made so many mistakes. Mm -hmm. and, and we've executed so many people who later on we found out were innocent. And also because life is sacred. Yeah. So I've touched, um, this is really shameful to me that uh, religious people are in favor of capital punishment where as 
uh, many secular societies in the West have outlawed it uh, and said that this is not uh, just. Yeah. But we we need to try and spend a little more time with Chapter 9. And uh, we can talk about abortion uh, and the debate and where, as Christians, we might want to stand. Just not in this podcast. All good, all good. All good? Thank you. You are so accommodating. <laughs> Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is in contrast to the verses immediately before it. Yeah, totally. And it says, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. You wonder why um, this has to be said. I mean, animals naturally repopulate the space around them, and human beings seem to do it. Yeah. What do you think? Why Why is there this command? Hmm. Well, it kind of picks up. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve were told to begin with, because there were so few people. And yeah. now uh, there's been all these people destroyed, and so they're starting over again. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Adam and Eve represent a new beginning, and Noah and his woman represent a new beginning again. Well, and plus I think it's a storyteller's um, voice here that, that is coming through. Uh, you know, it, it's it's you have to create this narrative that people are going to come back to and I think it's also this idea of of a hopefulness or speaking into hope here. Um, generally, our problem on Earth today is too many people. You know, we have eight plus billion people on the planet. And uh, although this might interest you, is we've reduced poverty in terms of percentages of the population. It's the lowest that it's been in recorded history. Hmm. So this is good, and it's bad that we still have hunger and poverty. But in spite of having so many people, we're doing better than we've ever done in the past. And this is one of the reasons is genetically modified uh, grains. So, But I remind you that this verse 7 is in contrast to the killing rules that went previous to this, about killing animals and not eating the blood and killing perpetrators of violence and so on. So this is the counter for the storyteller. By the way, this is still part of God's speech. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and now we come to his second speech. But just before we do that, um, Robert Malthus, who is the regarded as the father of economics, he said population was controlled by um, three things, um, war, famine, and disease. I'm not sure if he'd read the Old Testament, because the Old Testament has four curses, mm. war, famine, and disease, and wild animals, if you're disobedient to God. So it looks to me like we should actually call Moses uh, the father of economics. And not Robert <laughs> Malthus. Maybe he just picked up three of the four and became famous for for doing that. Mm. Nice. Nice for giving him credit. Yeah. So now we come to God's second post-flood speech. It begins in verse 8. And uh, I'll ask uh, one of you to read from 8 to 11. 
Then God told Noah and his sons, I therefore I thereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Now I can get God saying this to Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their four women. <laughs> but I don't get God talking to the animals or about the animals and saying, I'm making a, a covenant with the animal. So maybe a synonym for covenant in this context is a promise. He's promising all life that there won't be uh, a flood again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big debate about whether the flood was universal or it was localized. Mm -hmm. And when I read statements like this, there's so many statements that the assumption must be that the flood was universal. Like if it was a localized flood, all this talk would be unnecessary. Well, I I find it um, interesting, too, that... as we noted in the end of chapter eight, God says, I will never again destroy all living things. Now in chapter nine, he's qualifying it with, I will never destroy everything with a flood. Mm-hmm. I prefer the earlier statement. <laughs> um, you know, we're making this podcast a bit early in the day. Could you elaborate a little bit on that for <laughs> Well, it's just that, you know, in the back of our minds, we have this um, fear that, yeah, at one point, God is going to destroy the earth with fire. Mm-hmm. And, and for him to say, okay, I, I'm, I, I've learned my lesson. I'm never going to destroy it with, with a flood again. It's like, okay, thank you very much. But we know that there's going to be a fire. Whereas the earlier statement was, he says, you know what? I'm not going to destroy mankind i'm not going to do that uh, and it just to me is a is a better picture of god and as we've come to understand it's not god that does the destroying with with the lake of fire at the end of time it's uh, it's a different causation because it's the devil that is the destroyer so that's my uh, qualification okay i got it um, i would hopefully add in too that that when we're talking about this idea of God not destroying the earth again and this kind of stuff, that we're acknowledging the idea that God isn't the one that destroyed the earth here and that he was actually sending a means of protection for whoever was willing and and, and wanting it. Um, because when it, when we read it as is, it does have that implication that God's like, you know, okay, well, I won't do it again. But really we're, we're sort of hopefully seeing that reframe that actually he was he was sending the rescue mission rather than the destruction. Thank you. So what what you two are talking about is the picture that Jesus brought. Um, and maybe we should just remind ourselves of a few things that are said in the New Testament, like John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but i jesus have come to give you 
life, a fantastic life. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, there the sides are drawn, that you have one supernatural being that's working to destroy all life, and you have another supernatural being, Jesus, who's working to enhance life, not only preserve it, but make it better. Well, and I would also want to add, because, you know, fear comes up, that that Jesus is the only eyewitness to God and that he is trying to get us to understand that he and God are on the same page on this kind of stuff. And that it wasn't, you know, now in the New Testament, the, the good side of Jesus or the good side of God is coming, but that that is a complete picture and that that includes the Old Testament, but that we just have had the missing part about the destroyer who who wasn't named then uh, and you see well uh, you you're going off on this rabbit hole which is really a hole into heaven uh, and it's a good hole to go down when moses describes god he describes god in terms of a, a super pharaoh an uber pharaoh mm. and our culture always determines the way we see God and the way we see each other and the way we see ourselves. You know, we can't escape this cocoon that we live in that we call culture. And uh, the three of us live in a time uh, of great freedom in terms of politically and health-wise and also in terms of ideas. And uh, we have the Bible in so many translations, and many of them are now up to date with uh, the language we use, and uh, we, we can actually catch images of God that previous cultures couldn't catch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm very grateful for the culture that I live in. I'm also very grateful that Moses wrote down what he did uh, as best he could. Otherwise, we'd have no record yes. you know, of where we started and where our roots are. So, um, yeah, Moses does see God as a kind of a vengeful, authoritarian, uh, a pharaoh-type figure. But, hey, where'd we be without Moses? That's the need for a podcast where we can rediscover who God really is. You know, you two are like herding cats today. <laughs> you, you're off into all these directions. We are in Genesis 9, and we've just read verse 8 to 11, and we noticed that the animals were all included uh, in the speech that's make it, being made by God. Um Notice that it doesn't have any conditions. Um, nowhere does God say, if you do this and do that, right. uh, then I'm going to care for you and never again destroy you. Mm -hmm. with it's, just, it's just making a promise. Like uh, when our babies were born and I held them easily in one hand and looked into their face and said to them, I will love you. And care for you. I didn't make any condition. Well, and it, it just it demonstrates the nature of God, that that's who he is. 
It's yeah. he just loves us unconditionally. So here are some of the covenants made with uh, Shem's line uh, that we know about. Of course, there's Seth also, the third son of Adam and Eve. And now we have Shem, which is one of the three sons of Noah. Interesting. Three sons for Adam and Eve and three sons for Noah. Uh, the creation covenant. Um, Sasha, if you can read Genesis 1, 28, please. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So it's just, it's just a, a statement. There are no conditions. Yeah. Just do this. Okay, so uh, Warren, Genesis 3.15 is the salvation covenant. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between her, your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Mm -hmm. So he has the promise that uh, the offspring of the woman would triumph over the offspring of the serpent. Uh, what uh, even Adam understood from that promise I really want to ask them one day. Mm. Uh, I'm sure they saw it as something immediate. And that when Cain was born, they imagined this was it. Mm -hmm. And so when Cain kills Abel, this is a mm. huge emotional. I mean, their their faith must have really been tested. Uh, yeah. what, what a tragedy. So we're busy reading the covenant with Noah in chapter 9. We're not going to read that. And then in chapter 15 of Genesis, and we can't read it all, we have the covenant made with Abraham, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you this whole land uh, as far as you can see, you know, from the great river in the north to the great river in the south. And look up in the sky, you're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky or the sand on the banks of the lakes or the sea. And God doesn't ask anything of Abraham. Mm -hmm. just, it's just this un unconditional covenant that he makes with him. Mm -hmm. we're, we're going to read uh, the one the covenant made with Jacob. Genesis 28, 13 to 19. Um, Sasha, if you can read that, please. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the east and the e to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, 
the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. The name that place, he named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. An amazing story. The, yeah. the promise of covenant to Abraham is renewed to his grand, grandson. Mm -hmm. And all these promises and uh, the, the realization by Jacob that God was in the place and he didn't even know it. How many times that happens in our lives. And then he names the place Bethel. El, meaning God, a generic name for God. It doesn't mean God in heaven. It just means any God was called El, Elohim. Mm -hmm. Beth house. So you know Bethlehem. In Hebrew, Beit Lechaim mm -hmm. means house of bread. Lechaim means bread or life because those are synonymous uh, for the Hebrew people. If you don't have bread, you don't have life. If you have bread, you have life. So uh, Bethlehem can be the house of life or the house of bread. Uh, when you toast uh, in Hebrew, you say Lechaim, to life. <laughs> but you could also say to bread, <laughs> if you transliterate it. So let's look at the uh, mosaic or the old covenant, Exodus 3.17. Um, Warren, if you can read that, please. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live now. Mm-hmm. And if you can read 19, 5 to 6 also in Exodus, please. This is just the prelude to the Ten Commandments, 19, 5 to 6. Now, if you will obey me and keep my command, my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Thank you. So that was the uh, mosaic of the old covenant. It does include um, a condition of if you will obey me. Primarily that obedience was to trust God um, that he would continue to do for them what he had already done for them. Like He'd brought them out of slavery in the most powerful nation on earth, and uh, he would continue to protect them and care for them. Mm -hmm. That's what that obedience meant. It was to be convinced in your heart that God loves you, cares for you, and will do the best for you. Um, we're looking at the Joshua covenant, Joshua 1, verse 1 to 5, Sasha. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, you know, um, these voices we hear uh, attributed to God are for us too. Mm -hmm. Now, you can read this covenant promise to uh, Joshua and leave it thousands of years ago. Or you can say, hey, this is God speaking. Mm. And he's speaking to me too. Yeah, that's a good reminder. Love it. We come to the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, from verse 8. Warren, if you can read that, please. Now, go, now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and now I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them, as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple, for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod, like, the, like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Thank you. And may I just add into that promise, because I feel like as a young parent a few years ago, I really uh, needed a reframe on the, uh, I will discipline you with my rod. And, and what I have learned now in gentle parenting is this idea that the rod that they used was had this beautiful curve and that this curve was to come and bring bring the sheep by and bring them close and to redirect and to uh, bring them to safety and so uh, that has something that has added for me uh promise into how god is with me <clears throat> thank you great this woman is really blessing us today warren mm-hmm <laughs> Don't worry, Sasha, you're going to get your name back. 
Praise the Lord. <laughs> so now we come to the new covenant, as it's called in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, Sasha. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though. I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will give, I will make with the people of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Oh my goodness. That's beautiful. Isn't it? I claim it. I claim it. Yeah. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. so, so now we come to a restatement of this covenant in Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned back on them, says the Lord. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When, the, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Hmm. Hmm. So. Um, I know I know what you two are thinking. You want to go and talk about the old and the new covenants. Forget about it. We're not doing it today. We have rehearsed God's covenants to us, uh, and they are wonderful, and we have claimed them, and we're happy to be reminded of them. And now we're moving to verse Amen. 12. Amen. <laughs> Sasha, can you read 12 to 17, please? Yes. <clears throat> then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. And I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, 
This rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> so human beings are always trying to explain what's going on around them. This is an explanation of where the rainbow came from. And that's why it's put in there. This is a universal phenomena that people can see all over the world. Um, and this is what science is. Science is an attempt to explain the phenomena around us. Uh, it's a good thing. It's to try and move from myth and magic to objective explanations of what's actually happening. Um, for instance, the, the, the predictive ability of astronomy is vastly superior to that of astrology. Mm. And we started out with astrology, and then we gradually made our way into astronomy. Uh, and Isaac Newton helped us, and Copernicus, Galileo, and all these people. So th this is a good thing because it helps us to think from cause to effect. And that's why it's here. It's to explain this phenomena. And I'm not uh, discounting the covenant sign that it is. I'm just using the opportunity to remind you of human beings as meaning-seeking beings. Right, yeah. Uh, there's something exhilarating about discovering the meaning of something also ties in for me uh somehow this picture of wonder and the romance of god if i may um because it is true every time i do see a rainbow it it lights my heart and i go oh look 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 you know i'm always like wanting to show the children and oh it's a really really good one it's so bright or it's so clear or you know whatever and it's you know it's kind of like when you're young and in love and you tell your beloved you know who is far far away that when they look at the moon and you look at the moon that both of you will know that you're looking at the same moon and it's this, I don't know, it's it's a wonderful image to me that God is going, just so you know, when you see those colors, that's me confirming uh, that I am with you and that I am. You know, you're an incurable romantic. <laughs> you know, there's a medication for this. There's a medication. <laughs> oh, boy. And um, you said when you're young and in love, does this mean that I you know. want to be old wow. and in love? It caught me out. It caught me out. It's true. But my <laughs> husband and I, we did take a beautiful photo yesterday together down by the river. And we both smiled and said, oh, my goodness, look at this beautiful couple. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll talk about this in 30 years. Stay <laughs> healthy. I'd like to have the discussion with you. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, so uh, the... the uh, we're talking about eternal uh, covenants. Uh, you know, there are two others that come to mind uh, from the end of the creation uh, on the sixth day. Uh, the one is we created male and female, and this fits in with your incurable romanticism, is that we have this male-female relationship. 
that is an eternal phenomena, uh, at least on this planet. Um, and it's a wonderful source of, what would you call it? Um, comfort and love and uh, community. Yeah. It is a wonderful thing that happens between a man and a woman. And uh, then you also have the seventh day, which is enshrined as a covenant of the creation. Um, so you have these three things. You have uh, male-female relationship, marriage. You have the Sabbath, which is creature-creator relationship. And you have the, uh, the rainbow, which is uh, uh, a relationship between the creator and disobedient creatures. It will not happen again. And it will be replicated by the cross, uh, which is uh, the rainbow of God's mercy for the whole universe. So we, we haven't quite come to the end of chapter 9, uh, but the next section in chapter 9 is the basis of so much racism in the world uh, that I want to keep uh, the rest of chapter 9 to talk about the curse on, on Canaan, a son of Ham. So I want to thank you both for showing up. I enjoyed a few moments of uh, wonder and uh, insight uh, with you. Hey, we did it together. <laughs> it was a good one. Good. Thank yeah. you. Let's pray. Dear God, you are often with us. And we are so calloused and self-centered that we don't even notice you. We're embarrassed to admit this. But we're happy that you are the God of Bethel. And we want to be more sensitive to your presence. Thank you for helping us. Amen. 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 You can find the recording of our podcast on our website, uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using. So you can follow along or at least see all the passages. And so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca. And on there, there is the, um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast, as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. 
Um, it's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, we share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod2020 at gmail.com. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.